That's how you build rivalries, and that's how you build atmosphere. Edwards, three-pointer, is good! This team is right there with anybody else in, in the country. They are clicking on a kind of a different level that we didn't um, that we didn't see this year. Perry for the lead. Oh! He did it again. This is a personnel issue. Ish. I think I really think it's just a, a player fit. Like I I think, and it again, is. this is this is partially his fault, right? These are his transfers yes. that he brought in, right? But I'm still saying I think this is just a whiff. I think this is just a whiff on you his part. You can't, you can't, it, you cannot whiff with this much talent. And I love Texas Tech. This is home. And I get to stay home. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Texas 24 podcast on the Dave Campbell's Podcast Network. I'm Matthew Bruni, and joining me once again is Ishmael Johnson. Ish, how are you doing today? Good, I'm good. Uh, I got this football magazine reveal out the way. It's recording on a Monday, uh, and so there's a huge, kind of a huge weight lifted off. We're still waiting for people to actually get the magazine. Then, then like another, <laughs> other anxieties will be cleared from that point. But uh, cover reveal is always kind of one of the big hurdles we do first. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that football magazine uh, anxiety's got to be a little different, a little yeah. different. <laughs> but um, we are joined today by Matthew Bartlett from The Roost, who covers rice. Matthew, how are you doing today? I'm ready to get that magazine. When's it going to be in my hands? <laughs> hey, man, we we're telling everybody the same thing. We've had uh, uh, subscribers <laughs> will get uh, late June and then uh, late June, early July. And then we've had some paper issues. So we finally went public with that. So we're hoping retail and all that will get it late July, early August. Late July, right, well, early I'll August. you guys. It's it's great stuff. Yeah. I get it every appreciate year. It. Yeah, I appreciate sure. that. Appreciate that. Yeah, man, that was a that was a nice lob just to throw up to so that way Ish can promote the magazine on here. So there we go. Hey, there you go, man. <laughs> Better than me. All one big um, Texas family, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So uh, we're gonna talk some rice men's basketball today. Um, a fascinating program to me. Um, team the last past couple of years. And um, obviously, we'll start with with last year, uh, sixteen and seventeen overall, seven eleven in conference, and they added Carl Pierre to a team two years ago. I watched that team at the Star two years ago beat Marshall in the Conference USA tournament, and I was like, you know, I think this team has has some pieces here. They return pretty much the same team. They add Carl Pierre, and somehow it didn't pan out despite our expectations and. Um, I don't, I don't know where to start with this, but I guess, how would you just describe last year and what, what happened? Well, I, I think that's the, the interesting caveat on the same team, right? Because the, on paper, the roster was the same, but by the time you got really four or five games into conference play, Quincy Oliveri, uh, was lost for the season. Uh, he started the season with a wrist injury, so he really there was maybe a four or five game stretch all year where he was anywhere near 100%. So you had him, him out, Chris Mullins missed the early portions of the season. He was hurt. And so it's just one of those things is injuries are never, never a real excuse. Like you, you still have to find ways to win, but at some point, especially in basketball, if you lose the wrong guys, <laughs> It, it doesn't matter how many guys you got that can shoot a three. Uh, Quincy's special. 
Uh, Carl uh, set the program record in three-pointers, but that wasn't enough to overcome his loss. So that was kind of the biggest uh, biggest kind of the driver for the disappointment. Uh, when Quincy went down, it, it honestly took Rice three or four weeks to figure out how to play basketball again. Mm-hmm. And that was the real hurdle. Yeah, I guess like for me watching this team, because when we were previewing them, we said, okay, this is kind of, you have a nice mix of experience with chemistry, with like even fit with the system and what Scott Perrow wanted to do. And you can clearly see that, that kind of like three point oriented, you know, uh, style. And so I heading into the year, we were like, okay, this has to be kind of a, I don't say, I mean, ultimatum is a strong, is a strong word, but it had to be like a kind of a proof of concept uh, year for them where it's like, this is the style we want to play. I think uh, as, as Bruni alluded alluded to in the tournament last year in 2020 uh, or yeah, 2021, I should say, um, they showed flashes where it's like, okay, if there's the right game, like they're a dangerous team, right? If they're connecting from three, if if teams are really trying to shoot with them and not really hitting, like they're a really dangerous team. And was it just all down to, you know, just kind of that injury or was it like, was it, was there a little bit of a, of a, of a setback of some kind? Um, there was a little bit more, obviously, the beginning of conference play, uh, right before their first conference game, the entire team got COVID. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there was one person that didn't on the entire roster. Um, and they came out against North Texas that first game. I think they got beat by like 35 right, coming yeah. off of COVID. So that was in there. And then I think there's a portion. they Defense has always been, you know, the bugaboo with this team. And it's no secret. They're going to shoot a lot of threes. They're going to try and outscore you and play just enough defense uh, to get it done. And they had moments. uh, You look at the win over UAB where Mm -hmm. the defense was phenomenal. Uh, It was uh, above and beyond what they could hope for. And then they had other sequences where just whether or not I was not knowing who was going to be on the floor and where at what point that it just didn't click. So that that's going to be, you know, looking forward, that's going to be the issue or I guess the big question mark with this team again. Uh, we know they're going to score. Uh, you guys mentioned Carl Pierre. Uh, they p- cherry-picked this guy out of the transfer portal um, and was their leading three-point shooter in a, in a prolific offense. So they'll find guys who can shoot and score. It's going to come back to defense. And if there was anything, uh, you know, well within their control that they didn't execute on, that was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, kind of going through the schedule last year, you, you met North Texas. First of all, North Texas is not the team you want to play coming off COVID. Um, you don't want to play them anyways, but they're just annoying to play. And then you play them coming off COVID. So, But after that are the two biggest wins of the season, right? Middle Tennessee and UAB and back-to-back um, a weekend, Thursday and Saturday, and both at home. And did it feel like they were starting to turn the corner? Because even after that, they lose to Western, but that'd be Marshall and Old Dominion. Did it feel like they were starting to turn the corner? And is that the is that the injury where the injury happened? So the injury remember. happened uh, against UTEP, like final okay. minute mm. of the game against UTEP. Um, but yeah, it, it really did. You know, head coach Scott Para after the UAB game said without question that that was the biggest win in his tenure at Rice. Um, and so when you get to that kind of like mountaintop experience, everybody's healthy, things are working, the defense was there, everything was going well. And then it it really just felt like the entire win was taken out of their sails uh, with Quincy's injury. And it it took them a good long while to find themselves. And that's really what cost them. 
they didn't have a, you know, a, a Christmas break to take three weeks and like, okay, let's plan for an offense and a defense without Quincy. It was okay. Let's learn on the fly. Uh, tried putting Malajal um, on there and, and doubling up with, with two big men uh, with him and Max Fielder that, candidly was a disaster um they tried that for a couple games they just had to kind of figure it out and they didn't do it fast enough yeah looking at kind of looking at the style of play because obviously we can harp on defense and things like that and not you know scott Perra obviously knows where the team needs to kind of uh, improve it on that end but I, I do want to ask kind of about the offense because it does feel one-dimensional as far as like you know i i kind of would like to see what their plan B is. Cause every time I see them, it's like, okay, they're setting up these three point shots this outside shooting. Okay. That's great. Like so many teams obviously have that as plan B. That's just modern basketball. But I do wonder like when the shot isn't falling, cause I look back on the games that they won, the big games that they won. Uh, we mentioned UAB where they shoot eight of 21 from three. Um, and then middle Tennessee where they shoot. Let me see. I have it right here. Oh, surprisingly, they actually, they didn't shoot that well against middle Tennessee. They only shot five of 24. But you look at the games that they lost, and they're like four of twenty-six. It's three of thirteen. It's you know uh, almost nine of twenty-five. Right? It's not great number, not great shooting from beyond the arc. But it feels like to me, it feels like there's no plan B often when it doesn't, when that doesn't, uh, when it's not clicking. When it is great, you pick up your biggest wins. You know, you can scare any team basically with that kind of strategy. But I do wonder, like. Do you think there will be kind of a hinting or a, a, a little bit of a developing of a plan B on offense where, hey, maybe we probably should have either a post presence or somebody maybe consistently driving on the inside as opposed to just kind of working the perimeter as we've seen the past couple of years? I think, honestly, you, you mentioned the the middle game. Yeah. It, in years past leading up to this, this has been a team that if they're not shooting well, they don't win, period. Right. And they won – uh, several games this year where they didn't shoot well, particularly not shooting well from three, um, which was honestly a big sign of development from this team. And part of what enabled them to do it was the post play and the, the play of Max Fiedler on the inside. He might be one of the two or three best passers in Conference USA. Um, maybe not get the accolades for it, but he knows where to go with the ball and kind of set things up. So uh, the games where, where he was able to thrive uh, mm -hmm. kind of may do for some of those, um, you know, three-point shots that didn't fall. I think kind of they have some growth to work um, on the rebounding front because that, that was a big issue. They, they either got out-rebounded um, and didn't get the enough offensive rebounds because if you're going to put up low-percentage shots, you know, relative – to something in the paint, you're going right. to need to get rebounds. And so they didn't. Um, so maybe it's not, you know, reinventing the wheel and finding a different strategy. It's sure. just finishing out and closing out the other portion of that. If you're going to put it up, you got to rebound. And I think that's a part of their game that, you know, they need somebody uh, besides Max. Um, he's the biggest guy on the floor. Everybody's watching him. You need somebody right. else to step up. Um, and Carl Pierre had a couple of those big re rebounding games, but it wasn't always there and it wasn't, and you're not rebounding, you're not shooting. It's, it gets tough. Yeah. And you mentioned Max Fiedler, or I, I'm, I just like this roster going into the year. I liked this roster so much. And there was this, uh, after the Houston lost, I, I kind of went off the rails and I was like, 
I because uh, they Rice scored 15 points in the first half against Houston. You went is, off the rails. I was about to say he he. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a good point. I bet I bet they didn't have exactly the most fun time watching that game either. Yeah, I was just like, this team isn't it. Like they just they don't have it, which was definitely unfair. Two games, three games into year, what two games into the year, whatever it was. I was just I was just with so no Chris my- and Quincy couldn't shoot in that game. He was literally shooting everything from inside the arc. That's how bad his wrist was. Oh. Yeah, so that again, it's just like it was definitely unfair, but that's what I was like, I was thrown off, and so that, that gets me to where I want to go with the competition in Conference USA continues to improve, continues to improve, and I really thought this is a Rice team that could compete um, in that, and maybe they are in, in coming years, but from Scott Paris' perspective, he's been here for four years now. How how much more leeway do, does he have here? I mean, just what what's his situation going into what is year five, I believe? Six. Year six. I mean, I think you saw kind of a uh, prove something was going right when they had those two wins in the conference tournament um, that y'all were talking about. And then this year, you had those moments. Uh, again, you you see kind of glimpses of that, that win in the conference tournament um, There's, you know, rice basketballs had some rough stretches. So that's their first back to back years with a conference tournament win in like a decade or something like that. So there are pluses there, but yeah, I, I think you're at the point where you need to see that next step up until last year, they they'd improved their winning percentage uh, every year. I think they're pretty darn close on, this is the first time Rice has had like 15 wins in a season for three years since, you know, 2008 or something like that. Um, it goes back. So there's, there's pieces there and there. And then I think the roster construction, he's been able to just plug and play guys. So you, you have the pieces there, but sooner or later, you got to find ways to win. So I think he, he bought himself a, enough leeway last year, the year before, to kind of show the, the question of will this style of basketball work? And I think they've proven it can. Um, and now it's just kind of like, can you find a way to play defense um, or enough defense? And so I think it kind of depends on how next season goes. If you have your key guys healthy and you make it through the rest of the year and you're still treading water, then I think you have to have a conversation about like, okay, what's next. But um if you do take a noticeable, noticeable step forward or regress, that kind of makes it a lot easier to kind of figure out what direction the program's going. And it's so, it's so hard. And I know conferences are going to be changing all this stuff, whatever, but like you look at conference USA and it's such a tough defensive conference with North Texas, Louisiana tech, UAB, um, middle Tennessee on the other side. Uh, you know, you're not most teams outside of like Marshall and, and whatnot that it, it's just hard to to be like all right this like how good does this offense have to be how good does this offense have to be in order to to compensate for that so that's kind of just the way i've been looking at it. and that's kind of why it's an interesting thought exercise to me because i they haven't been above like 280th in defense the past under para so it's like does this have to be a top 100 offense so that's just kind of my line of thinking i don't know if there's anything a question of touch that, yep. but that's I, just no. You know, I, I think I think you're right. I think what if you envision the dream scenario for this team, uh, it's a top 80 70 offense and a 150 130 defense somewhere. Be be eighth in conference mm-hmm. USA in defense, yeah, and be the second or second best yeah. offense in the league. If right. you can do that, you can win. 
And I think, but it's been five offense and 12 defense and that's the right. problem. Yeah. It seems like they've, they've, and this kind of goes back to, you know, what Scott Perez kind of built there is, you know, he came in when the, you know, he didn't have much to work with originally what he's done. The fact that he's had them, he's gotten them to a point where now we have these expectations of like, okay, should they be competing? Right. I think that is a, a, a success in and of its own, in and of its, uh, in and of its own. Right. But now it's talking about, okay, that next, right. That next step, right. Now you're a sustainable, sustainably competitive basketball program. Now it's like, okay, now how do we get from there to the next level? Right. How do you start really pushing your rivals? Right. You see, UTEP make a hire like Joe Golding, who's like, okay, they want some stability and they're bringing more defensive tenacity. And I kind of like the idea of like zigging while everyone's zagging, right? Going with the offensive route while everyone's trying to like boost up their defense. I think that makes sense. Um, I do, I, I, I am curious about, yeah, I don't know. I'm just curious about what the team looks like ideally, right? Because we mentioned this, this roster. Um, I know they brought in, we can, we can talk about some of the additions they've made for, from Kansas State and Nevada, uh, bringing in some guys that maybe work uh maybe a little bit better than some of the other guys um but yeah i think he's one of the more fascinating cases in, in the state as far as like just developing just developing a program because also they're you know they're moving conferences as well just like unt is they're moving conferences into um the aac and and you're going to be playing teams like memphis and, and smu and like you know programs that are hoping to hit a little bit higher ceilings and so it's like okay i feel like this year Prove it year is the wrong word. It's not, I don't think he's gonna get he's gonna lose his job or anything, but I think this year is gonna be like, okay, they might have an ear to the AAC when they're saying, is this the guy to lead us in the AAC? And I think that's kind of what this year is gonna be. I don't like I said, I don't think he's coaching for his job or anything drastic, but I think that when you look at that move coming, I do think it starts to wonder, and I think to a much worse extent, UTSA. I think he I think Steve, somebody like Steve Henson's absolutely coaching for his job when they make that jump to the AAC. Um, but I'm curious if you agree with that at all, as far as like kind of taking into account their, the future prospects. I think that kind of ties in, of course, the AAC is a big conversation, but something that, you know, we don't talk about in athletic athletic circles uh, as much as rice is going to have a new president in mm -hmm. July. Mm -hmm. um, so they're going to have a transition there. And the, the newer guy um, that's uh, coming in, uh, you know, early reports and indications from what he seemingly uh, told folks is that he's going to be a lot more invested in athletics than, you know, the previous administration was. At that point, it was kind of like uh, the athletic department didn't get as much attention, um, mm -hmm. good or bad, um, from the higher levels. Of course, that kind of spiked with how Rice handled the, the COVID uh, environment with football mm -hmm. and delaying their season. Uh, that was directly tied to the administration decisions and what they, the athletic program was able to do. Uh, so I think that tie-in, uh, a new guy at the top making decisions, athletic director Joe Carlgard is still there. Um, but those kind of pieces, uh, every time you have change, that's a, a fresh opportunity to kind of take a look and say, all right, where are we at? And I think the investment um, that Rice is making alongside with the move to the AAC, new president, yeah, I think everybody knows that this is – you don't want to be not doing well um, when you have that potential inflection point because we've seen sure. schools, you know, make it count. And this is a time when Rice has an opportunity and everybody else making that jump from CUSA to AAC can make it count and jump up tiers. But you got to win. Yeah. Uh, looking at the offseason changes, 
uh, as we look at next year. Um, I'll roll through them real quick. Departures, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of these. Uh, departures, Chris Mullins, uh, Carl Pierre, Riley Abercrombie, Terrence McBride, Malaysia Potit. Um, additions, I didn't write down the freshmen's names. I'm, forgive me. But three freshmen and two transfers in uh, Suri Lewis from Kansas State. And then I'm not going to attempt the name of the player from Nevada besides <laughs> Alem H. Um, and then returners, Travis Evie, Quincy Lavari, <laughs> Cam Sheffield, uh, Max Fiedler, and uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, did I get it right? Yeah, uh, more or less. I, I think it's. Uh, uh, I'm not going to pronounce. Uh, try and uh, Alam H. Husinovic, maybe. Husinovic. Like Let's um, go with Husinovic. That sounds good. That's pretty good. He's Bosnian. How's your Bosnian? Um, yeah, I, I just I think of soccer players I know from Bosnia from FIFA. You haven't they, been asked that on a Texas podcast in a while, have you? <laughs> no. What do I know about Bosnia? No, uh, it's over there. Yeah, um, yeah, I remember so all I know about Bosnia. Oh, I was gonna say all I know about Bosnia is the it's Bosnia Herzegovina is the country, and I remember the last World Cup the U.S. made in 2014. Uh, they were in the same group, and my friend was like, "Wow, we got to take on Bosnia and Herzegovina in the, in the same match." <laughs> so that's the only thing I know is that one joke from you said. There you go. There you go. I I can't top that, guys. I think. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well, the Bosnian. The Bosnian we got, he's interesting. Uh, played for the the Bosnian uh, national team uh, a couple years ago, so has some sp- experience there. Uh, Paris uh, found a couple guys that have had some international experience, so he's interesting. Uh, you didn't mention the the freshman by name. I think it's interesting. They're really really high uh, on a guard uh, named Mecky Mason, kind of a combo guy that can do a bunch of different things. If we're looking at players uh, that are expected to contribute right away. Uh, he would be one of those. Uh, Rice really hasn't had to rely on true freshmen recently because they Paris first year after the transfers uh, had a bunch of sophomores and juniors that kind of worked their way up, uh, then had another influx of transfers that they brought in and kind of rebuilt the roster on the fly. And uh, guys like uh, Quincy Oliveri, you know, got a year to to ease in. Uh, so Mekki Mason, he's a guy that they like. Uh, Andrew Cucci, another one. Mason Jones, those are the other guys. I think they'll be kind of brought along more slowly. I think Mekki is a guy who can come in. And because you're losing Carl Pierre, um, it, you run a lot of point. And you're going to have to find somebody there. Uh, and somebody's going to have to help in, you know, play more uh, on the defense, on-ball defense. That's going to have to fit with Chris Mullins out. So there's some opportunities there. I don't think they've made any um, additions yet that really, ah, you know, mm-hmm. that catch your eyes and and surprise you. I think you, what you see is what you get. And, you know, if they can find somebody to be that third shooter um, in the offense and, you know, either a coochie or somebody else can uh, come in and play some good uh, defense in the post, uh, then I think you can kind of pick up where you get going. I don't think you needed this, you know, last year they needed a Carl Pierre. They needed to go find somebody that could shoot 38% from three. Uh, they take another one, and I still think they might be in the market for the right fit from the portal if they can get it. Uh, but I don't think at this point uh, they really feel like they have many major holes that still need to be addressed. Yeah, from a roster construction standpoint, I, that's really um, all I had. It, is it? Would you say? I, I know last year was so tough with injuries, and that's what makes it like hard to ask if like if their their lineups would look similar, but like. Obviously, you have Evie, 
you have Olivari, you have Sheffield, Fiedler. I would assume those four to be starters again in your estimations, and then you kind of just plug in around them? I would think so. And then we'll kind of see how things go with um, how the rest works. Jake Leeper was a guy uh, that got a good amount of run early in non-conference play guard uh, that can shoot pretty well. He got hurt, um, kind of didn't get the rest of the uh, season in. So he'd be kind of another one I'd look at. Um, but yeah, it's going to be Evie and Oliveri doing most of the work as usual. Awesome. Well, um, I, I think that's all we got for y'all uh, today. Uh, Matthew, we appreciate you joining us, man. Uh, this is, like I said, Rice is a real, real interesting team for us uh, to talk about on, on this podcast. So uh, we appreciate you uh, jumping on here and giving us some insight on them. Absolutely. I can promise you they won't be boring. Who knows <laughs> anything else? exactly exactly but yeah y'all can check out uh matthew's content at the roost uh you can follow them on twitter as well um you can follow us on twitter at dct basketball like like we talked about early on the podcast keep an eye out for the football magazine that's coming out uh that's obviously huge at dave campbell's over there so um yeah we appreciate y'all for joining us if you're watching on youtube uh, subscribe leave a comment like send to a friend if you're listening on a podcast leave us a five-star rating and review we greatly appreciate it Thank you all for joining us, and we'll talk to you all later.